Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to our quick preview of the second part of episode 253 on Leibniz's Theodicy. I've got about five related excerpts here designed to introduce the concept that evil is a privation, a lack. It is not actually a thing at all. And then a little bit about the multi-layered character of will. So in the same way that Kant, for instance, will say, look, grounds for the possibility of experience include causality. Leibniz is saying grounds for the possibility of the world includes evil. But it's a different thing. Like when you invoke the notion of causality, that feels like something present. But in the case of the grounds for the possibility of the world and that evil has to exist, that's because of privation. It's the absence of something. Can we read a couple quotes here? So in section 20, page 139, it must be sought in the ideal nature of the creature, insofar as this nature is contained in the eternal verities, which are in the understanding of God independently of his will. For we must consider that there is an original imperfection in the creature before sin, because the creature is limited in its essence, whence ensues that it cannot know all, that it can deceive itself and commit other errors. So the creature just being the created thing, of which we are an obvious thing, but everything is set up that it lacks the omnipotence that God has just by necessity of not being God. And that's where sin comes from. Sin is error. There's another quote on the same page. Basically, where does evil come from? It's actually from the region of eternal verities. This region is the ideal cause of evil, as it were, as well as of good. But properly speaking, the formal character of evil has no efficient cause. For it consists in privation, we shall see, namely, in that which the efficient cause does not bring about. This is why the schoolmen are wont to call the cause of evil deficient. So just remembering our Aristotelian types of causation, efficient cause is the kind that you'd normally think of. So just like Wes was saying, when you create an arch, it has to have the spandrel, the, the triangle in it, just as a structural feature. It's not that the arch is prior in time and is the efficient cause of those things. It's just you make one, you find, ooh, I guess I've made the other. It's a logical necessity. It's not a causal in terms of efficient cause necessity. It's just that he knows enough of the schoolmen of Aristotle to know that, well, there is a sense in which the spandrels are caused by the arch. <laughs> it's just not the sense of causality of efficient cause. It's something in the formal cause or the final cause. In other words, I'm trying to build an arch and that implies certain things. It's going to be a real comfort when your child is getting raped by someone that it is in the privation of the efficient cause. And it's not actually the efficient cause that resulted in that. It's actually the privation of some other activity. Still the best possible world, Dylan. Exactly. Thanks, Voltaire. That's what I would be saying. Yeah. Evil is a privation. It's like the hole that's created in the donut. In order to have the donut, you have to have the hole. And the evil is the whole. It's a consequence of the donut, but there's no wholeness. There's just donutness. And for St. Augustine, right, you can derive this from the nature of becoming. Yes. So if you think of becoming as kind of a combination of being and nothingness, so things change. We live in a world of change and 
that means growth, but it also means decay. It means things don't just stay static and exist forever, but it also means things can be affected. One object can have an effect on another, which is kind of the groundwork for suffering in beings with consciousness. So all these things, death and decay and suffering, are derivable from the presence of privation, of nothingness in the scheme of things. But if we just get rid of that and we get rid of becoming and all we're left with is being, we don't have a world in the same sense, right? We're left with the platonic world or the divine world, but we don't get this sort of world. Why does God permit evil, right? It seems like if God is the cause of everything, then God actually is the one who does the evil. So what is this permitting? This is the different kinds of will. Mm -hmm. In other words, like, does God want good things for us? I mean, it seems like, yeah, he does. But then why don't we get good things? Come on. Well, he antecedently, his antecedent will, sort of yeah. just reflecting on this one little thing. Of course, he wants things good for everybody. But then there's how the pieces of this optimum world have to fit together. So he has to consider, oh, actually, if I want this to happen over there, then you actually have to get cancer. And so his final will is the entire optimum world as it actually appears to us. So by talking about those different kinds of will, the antecedent will versus the consequent will, he could say he only antecedently wills the good ever. It's just that his consequent will that creates the whole world does permit some of the bad because of the reasons we've been outlining. He basically will say, God is not complicit in evil. Something that almost sounds obligatory to God, right? Willing what the best possible thing or doing what is rational, that's antecedent will. So there's collateral damage to that when you actually put it all together. And that's the permissive or consequent will. I just think of it as like a bureaucrat who's about to do something foreclose on you or whatever. Like, I would love to help you, but no. <laughs> because all things considered, my job overrides this antecedent will that I have that everything work out for you. Yeah, the example he uses is I antecedently will that everyone be saved or as many people as possible. Actually, it turns out that some people will have to be damned in order to achieve the aim of saving as many as possible. So I consequentially will the damning, or permissively, I permit it. In other words, he has good intentions, but when it comes down to brass tacks and putting stuff together, he has to do some messed up stuff. <laughs> So if you're into these technical details, I want to encourage you to go sign up for a membership at partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. In addition to getting the part two, you will get the nightcaps, the one that's coming out right now. It's extra long. It's very political. So I hope you check it out. Next week's reading is The Tyranny of Merit, a brand new book by Michael Sandel, who will be interviewing for the episode. See you then.